This was the first time I'd seen my dad cry in my life. It was May of 2010, working my summer job as a lifeguard, living at home with my parents. And this day happened to be just one of those days where it seemed like everything was going wrong. One thing after another, piling up, the stress just building. And I knew the second I walked in the door, because I was driving home, it was all just gonna evaporate. I'd come in, I'd say, hey mom, I'd give her a hug. Dad be in the living room in his chair. Hey Brian, how was your day? Go give him a hug. And when dinner time rolled around, we'd get up, we'd fill our plates with food, we'd go into the living room and do one of our favorite things together, which was watch a movie. The stress is evaporating and I'm in one of my happy places. And at one point, my dad went up to check on my grandfather who was taking a shower. He'd been living with us for about 10 years at that point. He was 83 now, so he needed a little more help getting around. So about a minute after dad got up, we're sitting there, peace, silence, and serenity. And all of that shattered in an instant. Before I knew it, I grabbed the cordless phone and I was running up the stairs. I turned into the bathroom and when I got in, I saw he had pulled his father's naked, still dripping wet body into his lap and was holding him. My grandfather's arms were draped back, his head was back, his mouth was open. And when all the emotions were rising, it was like my mind split down the middle. There were only two choices I had at that time. And I knew no matter which of those two I chose, my life was going to change forever. I knew that in that moment I had a choice between action and inaction. Have you ever been at a time in your life where it was so crystal clear that you had two choices? For you, it might not have been a life-threatening emergency. For you, it might have been that moment when you finally said, I'm done and I'm walking out. You said, I'm leaving this job. I'm not staying in this unhealthy relationship. When you finally decided to say, I love you and I'm ready for this. When you finally decided to look in the mirror for yourself and say, today is the day and we're doing it. But that day, I decided to take action. So I said, dad, we need to get him flat. Mom, here's the phone, call 911, tell them where we are, tell them what happened. We lift my grandfather's still dripping wet body naked out and lay him flat on the ground. I know I need to check his vitals, so I come down. I put my head by his mouth to listen and feel for breathing. I'm looking down the plane of his chest to see if his chest is rising and falling and rising and falling. And then I take my two fingers to his carotid artery to feel for a heartbeat. And as I'm doing my vital check, I'm down there. There's no breath. There's no movement in his chest. But there was the slightest little heartbeat still pumping. So I got down and start giving rescue breaths. I'm down there, my body is shaking. It feels like I can't keep going, but I know this is all I can do until someone else, an EMT, a doctor gets here. I have to keep going, but my arms are shaking, my legs are shaking, and I'm gonna keep doing it the best I can until I collapse. And then finally, after what felt like 30 or 40 minutes, I was tapped on the shoulder and the EMT is there. I tried to save a man's life that day. But as the head EMT came downstairs and explained that he had had a massive heart attack, he had likely died instantaneously. And that the heartbeats that I'd felt were nothing more than an echo or an aftershock. 
it felt like I failed. I hadn't saved anybody. Until later that night, when my dad looked at me and he said, Brian, if you hadn't been there, I wouldn't have known what to do. And for the rest of my life, I would have doubted that if I'd only known what to do, that my dad would still be alive today. Because you were here and you acted and you didn't hesitate, I know it was his time and I can let him go in peace. Sometimes you'll save exactly who you intend to. Sometimes someone you didn't even see or didn't expect will benefit from your efforts. And sometimes the person you save will be yourself. And I learned one of the most important lessons I've ever learned. You never know whose life you might save by choosing to act. The wisest person I ever met in my life, a third grade dropout. Wisest and dropout in the same sentence is rather oxymoronic, like jumbo shrimp. Mm-hmm. Like fun run, ain't nothing fun about it. Like Microsoft works, y'all don't hear me. I used to say like country music, but I've lived in Texas so long, I, I love country music now. I, back, yeah. I hunt, I fish, I have cowboy boots and cowboy. Y'all, I'm a black neck, redneck. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? No longer oxymoronic for me to say country music. And it's not oxymoronic for me to say third grade and dropout. That third grade dropout, the wisest person I ever met in my life who taught me to combine knowledge and wisdom to make an impact was my father, a simple cook. Wisest man I ever met in my life, just a simple cook. Left school in the third grade to help out on the family farm, but just because he left school doesn't mean his education stopped. Mark Twain once said, I've never allowed my schooling to get in the way of my education. My father taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write, decided in the midst of Jim Crowism, as America was breathing the last gasp of the Civil War, my father decided he was gonna stand and be a man. Not a black man, not a brown man, not a white man, but a man. He literally challenged himself to be the best that he could all the days of his life. I have four degrees. My brother is a judge. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It's a third grade dropout daddy. A third grade dropout daddy who was quoting Michelangelo, saying to us, boys, I won't have a problem if you aim high and miss but I'm gonna have a real issue if you aim low and hit. A, a country mother quoting Henry Ford, saying if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I learned that from a third grade drop. Simple lessons, lessons like these. Son, you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. We never knew what time it was at my house because the clocks were always ahead. My mother said for nearly 30 years, my father left the house at 3.45 in the morning. One day she asked him, why daddy? He said, maybe one of my boys will catch me in the act of excellence. I wanna share two things with you. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, 
not an act. Don't ever forget that. I know you're tough, but always remember to be kind. Always. Don't ever forget that. Never embarrass mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy ain't happy, don't nobody care. But you know, I'm tell you. Next lesson. Lesson from a cook over there in the galley. Son, make sure your servant's towel is bigger than your ego. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Y'all might have a relative in mind you want to send that to. Let me say it again. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA for a living, but his calling was to impact people. And with all those national championships, guess what he was found doing in the middle of the week? Going into the cupboard, grabbing a broom, and sweeping his own gym floor. You want to make an impact? Find your broom. Every day of your life, you find your broom. You grow your influence that way. That way you're attracting people so that you can impact them. Final lesson. Son, if you're going to do a job, do it right. I've always been told how average I can be. Always been criticized about being average. But I want to tell you something. I stand here before you, before all of these people, not listening to those words, but telling myself every single day to shoot for the stars, to be the best that I can be. Good enough isn't good enough if it can be better, and better isn't good enough if it can be best. Let me close with a very personal story that I think will bring all this into focus. Wisdom will come to you in the unlikeliest of sources, a lot of times through failure. When you hit rock bottom, remember this. While you're struggling, rock bottom can also be a great foundation on which to build and on which to grow. I'm not worried that you'll be successful. I'm worried that you won't fail from time to time. Person that gets up off the canvas and keeps growing, that's the person that will continue to grow their influence. Back in the 70s, to help me make this point, let me introduce you to someone. I met the finest woman I'd ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we'd have called her a brick house. This woman was the finest woman I'd ever seen in my life. There's just one little problem. Back then, ladies didn't like big old linemen. The blind side hadn't come out yet. <laughs> they, they like quarterbacks and running backs. We're at this dance, and I find out her name is Trina Williams from Lompoc, California. And, and we, we're all dancing, and we're, we're just, just excited. And I decide in the middle of dancing with her that I would ask her for her phone number. She, Trina was the first one. Trina was the only woman in college who gave me her real telephone number. <laughs> The next day, we walked to Baskin and Robbins ice cream parlor. My friends couldn't believe it. This has been 40 years ago, and my friends still can't believe it. We go on a second date, and a third date, and a fourth date. Mm-hmm. We drive from Chico to Vallejo so that she could meet my parents. My father meets her, my daddy, my hero, he meets her pulls me to the side and says, is she psycho? But anyway, <laughs> we go together for a year, two years, three years, four years. By now, Trina's a senior in college. I'm still a freshman, but I'm working some things out. <laughs> I'm so glad I graduated in four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. 
So now it's, it's, it's time to propose. So I talked to her girlfriends and it's California, it's in the 70s, so it has to be outside. You have to have a candle and you have to have, you know, some chocolate. Listen, I'm from the hood. I had a bottle of Boone's Farm wine. That's what I had. She said yes. That was the key. I married the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Y'all ever been to a wedding and even before the wedding starts, you hear this. How in the world? And it was coming from my side of the family. We get married, we have a few children. Our lives are great. One day, Trina finds a lump in her left breast. Breast cancer. Six years after that diagnosis, me and my two little boys walked up to mommy's casket. And for two years, my heart didn't beat. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I, I wouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for those two little boys, there would have been no reason for which to go on. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom. You know what sustained me? The wisdom of a third grade dropout. The wisdom of a simple cook. We're at the casket. I'd never seen my dad cry. But this time I saw my dad cry. That was his daughter. Trina was his daughter, not his daughter-in-law. And I'm right behind my father about to see her for the last time on this earth. And my father shared three words with me that changed my life right there at the casket. It would be the last lesson he would ever teach me. He said, son, just stand. You keep standing. You keep standing, no matter how rough the sea, you keep standing. And I'm not talking about just water. You keep standing. No matter what, you don't give up. And as clearly as I'm talking to you today, these were some of her last words to me. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. I ask y'all one question. A question that I was asked all my life by a third grade dropout. How you living? How you living? Every day ask yourself that question, how you living? Here's, here's what a cook would suggest you to live this way. That you would not judge. That you would show up early. That you'd be kind. That you'd make sure that that servant's town is huge and used. That if you're going to do something, you do it the right way. That, that, that cook would tell you this, that it's never wrong to do the right thing. That how you do anything is how you do everything. And in that way, you will grow your influence to make an impact. In that way, you will honor all those who have gone before you, who have invested in you. Look in those unlikeliest places for wisdom. Enhance your life every day by seeking that wisdom and asking yourself every night, how am I living? May God richly bless y'all. Thank you for having me. senior year, I'm in great shape. 
But unfortunately, I broke my foot. I had never been hurt a day in my life. My very first game, I broke my foot. I threw me a pity party. My trainer came to me and says, Walter, we can get you back for the Big Ten season. We can get you back, son. We can get you right back in five weeks. I said, Roger, when I come out of surgery, I want you to take me to the stationary bike. Put me on the bike and take my cast to the pedal. But Walter, when you come out of surgery, you're going to be on, the, on morphine and you won't feel like you go back and rest. I said, Roger, I don't have time to rest. Can you do that favor for me? Can you take me to the stationary bike, put me on the bike and take my cast to the pedal? As soon as surgery was over, he carried me to the stationary bike, put me on that bike and he take my cast to the pedal. And I had a customary workout that was symbolic that I don't have time to rest. I had tears in my eyes as I pedaled that bike and I thought to myself, I can't quit. I can't give up. I came back in six weeks. We playing against Ohio State Buckeyes on national TV. They had a guy named Jimmy Jackson at that time. On national TV, me and Jimmy Jackson are going at it. In the first half, I had 15 points, five rebounds, and five assists. And as the first half ran out, I pulled up for my patented baseline jump shot, and I felt my foot break again. I've been trained to follow through. Every day in practice, my coach would say, Walter, shoot it like you own it, baby. Shoot it like it's yours. Even though I felt my foot break, I still followed through. And my last college basketball shot went in all nets because I've been trained to follow through. You have to be disciplined every single day and train yourself to follow through on all your fundamentals and that's how you're going to be successful. You have to do it when you don't feel like it. You have to do it when you feel discouraged. You have to do it when you don't feel healthy. You have to do it when you're under the weather. Every single day, you have to train yourself to focus and commit to your business and follow through. My college career was over. I got offered a job to become a hospital administrator. Two-year program, $75,000 job. And right before I took the job, my daddy called me on the phone. Let me tell you about my daddy. When I was a little boy, my daddy would always pick me up. When he came home from work, he'd pick me up. When he saw me in the nursery after church, he'd pick me up. No matter how long he worked, no matter how tired he was, my daddy would always pick me up. So when I had my kids, I would always pick up my kids. When I got home, sometimes I was tired. They have a bottle in one hand, and they just lifted up the other hand, and they knew what daddy was supposed to do. My job was to pick them up. This is a spiritual interaction. When you pick up a child, it is a spiritual transaction. When you pick up a child, you change their perspective. When you pick up a child, all of a sudden they can see the world the way you see it. I don't care what your children have done, there is nothing they can do for you to stop picking them up. When my daughter's a drug addict, I don't care, pick her up. My son messes up, I don't care, pick him up. I don't care. You pick them up. That is your job, mama. That is your job, daddy. That is your job, grandma. That is your job, granddad. Your number one job is to pick them up and change their perspective. 
My saddest day, one day, my daddy looked at me and he said, boy, you too big, I can't pick you up anymore. But when he couldn't pick me up physically, he would pick me up emotionally. He would pick me up spiritually. I had a great dad because he would always pick me up. He would always change my perspective. So my daddy called me on the phone, he asked me a question. He said, son, you had a tough year, what's next? I said, dad, I'm gonna be a hospital administrator. He said, not bad, but let me ask you a question, son. Do you believe you're an NBA player? You cannot produce yourself image, son. If you don't think so, go take the job. But if you believe you're an NBA player, go for it. My dad had the self-control and discipline and waited for my answer, and my answer was yes. You're right, Dad. I can't work the rest of my life. But playing in the NBA is a dream. I've had it ever since I was a little boy. He said, go for it, son. I limped back into my coach's office with a cast on my foot. I said, coach, what do I need to do to play in the NBA? I asked that question four years in a row. With tears in his eyes, he said, son, when I recruited you, I heard you was a mama's boy. But I'm here to tell you, you're just like your daddy. But what, what do I need to do to play in the NBA? He said, do two things you can play in the NBA. Lose 20 pounds or shoot a three-point shot with range, you can play in the NBA. I think you should be a motivational speaker, son, but if you lose 20 pounds or shoot a three-point shot with range, you can play in the NBA. I lost 20 pounds, and every day I would shoot 500 shots a day, every single day. I got invited to training camp with the Dallas Mavericks, and not only did I make the team, I became the first ever undrafted rookie free agent in the history of the Dallas Mavericks to start opening night. Could you imagine what was going through my mind? I had not started a basketball game since high school. I got to the arena and they dimmed the lights and they put the spotlight right on me. Right through the spotlight, I saw my mom, my dad, and all my brothers and sisters. They surprised me at the game. Then I saw my dad. And I just pumped my fist. And he pumped his fist. And tears streamed down my face. Thank you for all those timeouts. <laughs> Thank you for making sure I was always home when the streetlights came on. Thank you for making sure I could always hear your voice. Thank you for always changing my perspective. I know what it feels like to sit on a bench. I know what it feels like to get knocked down. I know what it feels like to have a hope and a dream. And nobody believes in it but a few people. Go for your dreams. Don't live life with regrets. Go for your dreams. Don't live life with regrets. Go for your dreams. Don't live life with regrets. I could always hear my daddy's voice. You have children, you have grandchildren. Can your children and grandchildren hear your voice? I could always hear my daddy's voice. He would say, go out, have a good time, play with your friends, but don't let the street lights beat your home. When I started my motivational speaking business, I called my daddy and said, daddy, I'm gonna be a motivational speaker. 
He said, son, you think you can be successful at it? I said, yes, sir. You think you can make a lot of money at it? I said, yes, sir. He says, go for it. That's all my daddy said to me was go for it. So when I think about life, when I think about my goals, one thing he did for me as a father is to make sure I was always where I was supposed to be. He would have me write my goals down and he would check in periodically, basically asking me, Walter, where are you supposed to be? Fathers, do you realize how powerful that is? If you ask that question of your kids, what are your goals? What are your future? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And every now and then check in by asking a simple question. Where are you supposed to be? The bell is ringing and I came to ring your bell and ask you the question, Father, where are you supposed to be? And ask that question to your children. Where are you supposed to be? And don't you quit until you're number one.